book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. I am Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my nine-year-old daughter as she reads through the Harry Potter book series, and we review each chapter of the books, chapter by chapter. Lily, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Okay, this has been probably our longest break. Ever. In the recording of these episodes. Uh, Our entire family was sick for about a month, (laughs) and then we were all super busy, but we're back and you have likely forgotten everything that we're going to be discussing. So, Except for their names, yes. Okay, you still remember the characters' names, so we're <laughs> off to a good start. Do you remember uh, what book we are reading? The Deathly Hallows. We're reading book seven, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, and we are on chapter 14, which is called The Thief. Now, a very quick recap here is that in our previous chapter, Hermione had just uh, disapparated herself, Ron, and Harry, was this immediately following the attack attack in the coffee shop? We already reviewed the attack. I know, and this is what happens afterwards. Oh, no, no, no. They do the coffee shop attack, they all leave, and they change clothes, or is the coffee shop attack after that? I think it's after that. I feel like I need to go back just briefly to remind myself what they are fleeing from. And Uh, what we've already gone over. Well, you know. Uh, let's see. Oh, no. <laughs> Why am I talking about this coffee shop? I'm so far off base. This is when they're leaving uh, after freeing the Muggleborns from inside the Ministry of Magic. Yeah, that's like way... Yeah, we're we're like 70 chapters past <laughs> the coffee shop. I don't even know what I'm thinking. <laughs> so, so, yes. So, they have uh, infiltrated the Ministry. They were in... Uh, disguise with Polyjuice Potion as three of the Ministry workers. On the way out, they just so happen to see some Muggleborns about to be led off to a shadowy demise somewhere, set them free, and then head out, and then they disapparate. Do you remember where they were trying to go? This brings us up to Chapter 14. I think they tried to go to Grimald Place. They tried to go to Grimald Place, but what went wrong? Were there Death Eaters outside? Not necessarily. It's that they led through their apparition. Someone followed them. And when they appeared in Grimald Place, uh, a Death Eater was right behind them. I don't even remember if it was a Death Eater. I know it was a uh, one of these ministry workers that we don't like. Let me see if I can find his name. It was uh, Yaxley. They accidentally led uh, Yaxley in Grimmauld Place, and so now they realize they can't ever go back there, at least not until the day that this mission might be totally won, right? Yeah. So Grimmauld Place is no longer safe. So where do they, uh, at the last minute, Hermione decides to apparate them somewhere else? Where do they end up? In a forest. It's a forest that she remembers traveling to, I believe. I think she went there with her mom and dad to go camping sometime. But uh, what horrible thing has happened because of all the quick apparating and disapparating? Someone is injured. 
Did someone get splinched? Yeah, it was Ron. Ron's arm is in bad shape. It's uh, torn apart by the, you know, trying to be in two places at once, basically. I think it's what happens when someone apparates wrong or they don't quite know where they're going. And since she had to do it at the last minute, then Ron gets splinched. What is the solution for this? How is Hermione prepared for this? I think he I think she brought some cream with her. She has this little bottle, it's called Essence of Dittany, and it's I guess kind of an all purpose fixing repair, yeah, human body part repair formula. <laughs> it's one of those things that shows us just how differently they consider uh medicine than we do. Like the only time people go to a wizarding hospital or to the uh, medical wing of the of Hogwarts is for like I got turned into a toad. <laughs> you know, it's like something big, like something that you can fix with magic that had been done with magic. But in this case, I think they're kind of spelling out that for a cut, a scrape, a bruise, maybe even a really bad cut, that as long as you know basic magic, you should be able to take care of it yourself or. Someone should be able to take care of it. Like this essence of Dittany is probably something in a wizard medicine cabinet, right? Maybe they could have used that for what, whichever Weasley tin got their ear cut off. Are we there yet? Yeah. Oh, okay, that happened in the last. No, that happened in the first ep- the first episode that we did. The first part of this book. Yeah. Well, I think they might mention in the book that it can't be fixed because it was... So uh, bad. Well, I think it was because it was like a ricocheted killing curse, right? Mm. It was something It was something awful. It was something magically awful that could not be repaired. So he has to live that way. But, so Harry wakes up in this forest. He realizes they're not in Grimmauld Place like they expect. Ron's injured. He's splinched. Hermione uses the essence of Dittany to... Uh, repair Ron's arm, but he still kind of needs some time to heal. I think it keeps it from getting worse, and it it makes the skin kind of grow back, but they decide that they're going to stay in the forest and set up a tent. What do they have to do to stay safe while they're in the forest? One of them has to watch outside the tent, make sure no one's coming, and Hermione has to put a whole bunch of spells around the tent. Yeah, they do these protective enchantments that uh, repel muggles so that no one will come anywhere near them and then also hide them from anyone, I guess, specifically looking for them. I can't remember if this is the part. Do they also do a charm that allows them to save Voldemort? Because there's a charm on the name Voldemort. And if you say it, it triggers an alert. I have no idea what you're saying. That might be later. There's a There's a specific spell that the Death Eaters do that they tell everyone don't say Voldemort and so if Voldemort is said in public then they know that it's probably one of them that's probably later yeah I have no idea what okay that is. that's not much of a spoiler it's just something that happens later so they try and make themselves appear essentially invisible to anyone that may be looking for them right mm-hmm. they set up this tent what kind of tent is it it's something that we've seen before it's a tent that's bigger on the inside. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same one from the Quidditch World Cup, but it's the same idea. It's yeah. kind of like a three-room apartment in a small pup tent. So they set up this tent. Uh, Harry does the 
or Hermione does the protective spells and I think they start wondering what happened to the people they set free, like Reg Cattermole and his wife. And then they're also kind of inspecting the locket, this uh, Slytherin's locket that they stole from Umbridge, which they, which they now know is the real Horcrux, right? Yes, and they decide that they should start wearing it, but start switching it off to each other every couple hours. Why would they switch it off? So that... I think they learned somehow that if you wear it too long, it makes you, like, grumpy and kind of mean and stuff. Yeah, I mean, if it contains a piece of Voldemort's soul, then it possibly is making them act more like Voldemort, you know? So they have to switch off every couple hours who wears it so that they don't turn part Voldemort. Now, my theory, again, like we discussed in the last episode, is that it's very similar to the One Ring and Lord of the Rings, where the locket wants to return to Voldemort's control, or at least to where Voldemort would think it is safe. And so the purpose for making the three friends angry would be to split them up so that it might more easily be able to manipulate one of them into returning. Together, they're very strong. But individually, they are not nearly as strong, right? Uh-huh. So it'd be, it would be easier to get the locket or the, away from them and back to Voldemort if they were split up. Uh, Harry is keeping watch outside the tent. He's thinking about Creature and about the Horcruxes. Here's where he starts to realize, I think, We've got a Horcrux. We don't know how to destroy it, right? Yes. We know there's more. We think there's seven total. We're not 100% sure on that. I think there's only supposed to be six because you can only split your soul into seven parts, including yourself. Well, that's something that is never really explained does a piece of Voldemort's soul still reside inside him? Or have all the pieces been removed and put into seven Horcruxes? I feel like there should be at least one small portion of your soul, because if there wasn't, then you wouldn't be a thing. Like, you can't be a thing without your soul. Well, that's... I think that's probably the the basic theory that most fans adopt, but I, I feel like it's not really established ever that a sliver of him still exists inside himself. I'm not sure. I could be wrong about that. So that means that... But, but let me let me make my point, though. My point is that they don't necessarily know how many they are. They don't know how to destroy them, for sure. They have one. They know a couple of them are already destroyed. But they also don't even have the slightest clue what these items are or where they might be, right? Yes, but I was going to say, shouldn't you know how many Horcruxes there are since you've read the whole of book Of course series? I do. I'm not going to tell you. You're acting like you didn't know. I'm talking as if I know what Harry knows. Oh. And at this point, Harry knows almost nothing. He's also wondering why Dumbledore never gave him better instruction on what to do with the Horcrux once you've got it. Well... My thought on that is that he didn't think he needed to do that because he didn't think he was going to be killed. That's possible. Um, I think at, there was at least a point in the astronomy tower where Dumbledore had a pretty good idea that he was going to be killed, right? 
Yeah, but he couldn't have talked to Harry then. No, but maybe his last words could have been, Harry, you have to use the blah, blah, blah to kill the Horcruxes. <laughs> but I guess he didn't have time. So Harry's feeling lost at this point. He's also beginning, this, this is the beginning of him wondering what Dumbledore really knew and how much he was keeping secret from Harry. My opinion here is that Dumbledore didn't know much more than he told Harry concerning Horcruxes. Do you know why I think that? Because otherwise he would have told him. That's partly it. Secondly, we know that Dumbledore spent a year looking for Horcruxes and all that time being the most powerful good wizard in the world. All he found out was that the book that was already destroyed was one of them. That he didn't do anything there. He found out that one of them was in a cave and didn't even know that it wasn't real. And then he found out one of them was a ring and it cursed his hand. So he wasn't great at finding or destroying Horcruxes. I, I have a feeling he was kind of in the dark and told Harry everything he knew to tell him, at least in this respect because is Dumbledore a hundred percent honest with Harry all the time no what is his typical attitude regarding honesty and Harry mysterious very mysterious always uh also it's very need to know like I'll tell you information when I think you need to know it I think it's safe to say that like you said Dumbledore was not expecting to die that night there's so probably tell him. probably a lot more he would have told Harry about what his mission should be even if he had theories about what these Horcruxes were, that would be helpful to Harry. He he could have said, like, uh, if, if he did know he was probably going to die that night, he could have said, okay, I'm probably going to die tonight, <laughs> so here's what you need to know about Horcruxes. I, I think that would be a hard conversation to have. Harry would probably start freaking out. <laughs> At this point, Harry's scar starts to burn. What does that always mean? Either Voldemort is near or he's feeling Voldemort's emotions. Yeah, he starts having a memory of Voldemort uh, or, or possibly seeing Voldemort, what he's doing right now. Something like that. He's confronting Grigorovich. Who is Grigorovich? Isn't he the evil wand maker? He's not the evil wand maker. He's just another wand maker. He's not necessarily evil. He's not Ollivander. <laughs> so he's confronting Grigorovich, the wand maker, and Grigorovich is insisting, I don't have what you're looking for. He doesn't say what it is, but he says, I don't have it. Do you have any guess on what he's looking for? Something for his wand, I'm guessing. Something wand-related, right? Yeah. When you go see the second most famous wand maker in the world. Probably. Then it's probably something about a wand. Um, Voldemort probes Grigorovich's memory and reveals this so he sets him free right no no he kills him even though he knows for a fact that he doesn't have what he wants he, he he checks his memory and sees that it's true he's telling the truth so as a reward he's murdered yay i think that's just way that's just voldemort's way of tying up loose ends right he doesn't want to leave anybody that might turn against him because what happened last time he did that um, I don't remember. Who's the subject of these books? Harry. Harry. 
the last time somebody, I mean, he tried to kill Harry, granted, but the last time somebody survived and and was left alive to to be against him, it's caused him quite a deal of trouble. I mean, technically he couldn't have done anything else because, you know, it exploded his body and <laughs> he, he basically lost his life then, but his philosophy is obviously that, you know, leave no prisoners. So that is uh, sort of the beginning of that end of that vision. And Harry wakes up from his sleep. Hermione is there and is mad at him because he was supposed to be on watch and he's dozed off. They head back into the tent Harry tells Ron about his vision of Voldemort kill, killing Grigorovich. At this point, I think Harry knows enough to know that if he saw it, that probably means it's true. You know, it's a thing that really happened. Voldemort does not seem to take advantage of this giving Harry false, vi- false visions thing that played so heavily in book uh, five. five. So he he seems to have established if you see a vision of me it's it's probably a real thing that's really happening <laughs> seems like he could be sending harry fake visions and make his life much harder but he doesn't so he tells ron about this vision and they wonder what it is that gorovich had what is voldemort looking for is he trying to gather up his horcruxes or is he you know what does he need that he doesn't have and harry remembers this young uh, blonde-haired boy that had stolen something from the wand maker. Do you remember that? No. This was... How did he see this? I can't remember if he read about this or if he saw a vision of it. I don't remember. Anyway, he saw this young, handsome boy sort of gleefully stealing something from G- Grigorovich. And I believe Harry is starting to realize that whatever that wizard stole is probably what Voldemort's looking for, you know? Mm-hmm. In the morning, uh, Harry realizes he's still got Mad-Eye Moody's eye that they pulled out of Dolores's door. What does he do with it? Doesn't he bury it? He buries it, but he buries it somewhere specific. Do you remember what he looks for before he finds a place to bury it? No. He looks for the most uh, old, beat-up, gnarled tree he can find. Why do you think he does that? Because that's kind of how Moody was. Yeah, it reminds him of Moody. He also sort of has the idea that anything would be better than having a piece of him buried in Umbridge's door, right? Yeah. Certainly not a final resting place. Also, this is chapter 15. <clears throat> excuse me. Chapter 15. The Goblin's Revenge. So they've buried Mad-Eye Moody's eye. Ron and Hermione pack up the campsite and they're ready to move. Why can't they just stay there? I don't remember. Why can't they stay anywhere for a long time? Because people might try and chase them. Everyone's looking for them. Everyone evil is looking for them. So it's not a good idea to hang out anywhere. Another problem is they don't seem to be anywhere near food. So they can't find any food. They don't have any food. They did all of this very last minute, right? Yes. So they're hoping to find a place that might be more populated but still somehow safe. Uh, Though 
Ron and Hermione and Harry apparate to a uh, a market. Harry finds Dementors that are stationed in the market. So why do you think there's Dementors at a random market? Because they're being controlled by the Ministry now, and they, the Ministry is either letting them just run free or... They sent them there for some reason. It, it, it's possible that they're patrolling everywhere, right? Like like everywhere that people are gathered or everywhere that might have food, for instance, or shelter, things that Harry would need, have uh, Dementors hanging out. Harry finds that he can't produce a Patronus. I'm not sure why. I don't remember why. Is it? Is his wand already broken? I don't remember that happening. I know his wand breaks somewhere around here during a fight. His wand might already be broken. No, I don't remember him not being being able to produce a Patronus. He says he can't. I'm not sure why. Maybe he can't think of a happy memory. Uh, Hermione, oh, right. <laughs> As I'm talking, I should read ahead. Hermione realizes he can't produce a Patronus because he's the one wearing the locket. What do you think that's doing to his ability to produce a Patronus? It's making him more Voldemort, so it's harder to use his wand. Well, what do you have to have to produce a Patronus? A happy memory. And having a piece of Voldemort's soul around your neck, it's pulling down his emotions. It's making him darker. It's like having a, it's like having a mentor on your neck. Similar, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it probably didn't makes it really difficult to conjure a happy memory. Uh, they realize that Harry's relieved to realize that his magic isn't broken, basically, <laughs> uh, but certainly not happy about the fact that he can't defend himself. They move on to a farm to stay for the night. As the days pass, they discover their moods are... They're having heavy mood swings. Why is that? Because... They're wearing the locket. Not only that, but they also figure out that it has to do with how much food they've had that day. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty standard for everybody, don't you think? You get you get grumpier, and you know, like more, kind of more everything that's bad, like more grumpy, more mad more angry because you haven't had enough food that day. Yeah, I mean, you're just being a human, you know, your your sugar and calorie intake can affect your your energy levels and your mood and, and everything. Uh, all of your emotions can be tied to that. If you're starving, it's much harder to have a conversation about which horcrux should we look for next. <laughs> and they unfortunately, despite all of Hermione's packing, she did not pack weeks and weeks weeks worth of food. So I think she expected creature to make them food cuz they were going to Grimmauld place. I think she expected to be able to hide out in Grimmauld place and make plans and be comfy at least, right? Yeah. This is not the plan. Having a tent, that was good. That's good luck. But the plan was not to be on the run. So they they realized that they are bickering with each other, they're arguing constantly. They're uh not being very productive about finding these horcruxes, right? I th yes, I think that Ron has the worst mood of all, so it's even worse for him once he's wearing the lockets. 
yeah, we're getting there for sure. Um, they they're they're still sh- searching, trying to find clues for where the Horcruxes are. They actually stop at Voldemort's old orphanage. I don't remember that at all. Uh, and, and I guess search through there. And Harry, uh, for Harry, he keeps trying to look into Voldemort's thoughts, but I guess with little success. And Ron and Hermione are talking more behind Harry's back, but they're not conspiring against him. They're trying to find ways to help him. But as a whole, they're not being an effective team. They're not really accomplishing what they want to at this point or getting any closer to their goal, I guess I should say. One night, Ron's complaining about the food. He's bickering with Hermione. Harry hears someone outside and tells him to shut up. And they all listen very carefully, wondering if their protective enchantments are going to be enough to keep them safe. What they hear, it turns out to be a group of wizards on the run. And they're some things. It's a group of wizards. They're on the run because they're good wizards. And they they're scared that Death Eaters are chasing them. They're discussing news. What is the one piece of information that they just happen to be talking about? That's exactly what Harry needs to know. Are they talking about Harry and the Death Eaters and Voldemort? No, they are talking about something that was almost stolen from Snape's office. Do you remember what? The Gryffindor sword. Correct. Uh, turns out it was, I don't think they know this, but it was actually Ginny Weasley who tried to steal Gryffindor's sword. I think they know about that. From Snape's office. Uh, I think if they are, this might be where that confirms that Ginny is like alive and safe for them. I think that's one of the things that they might get from that. Uh, well, but they already knew that because the Patronus from Mr. Weasley said that everything was fine. No, no, no. I'm saying now. Oh. They're not in contact with anyone now. Now, they also mention that Snape had been believed to send Gryffindor's sword to Gringotts. But what was that? What was what? What did he send to Gringotts instead? Was it a bomb or something? (laughs) No, no. It was a fake version of the sword. He has the real one. He sent a fake one. So the real sword is in Snape's office right now. They also mentioned that the Quibbler is publishing pro-Harry articles. What do you think that means for the Quibbler? What is pro-Harry? For Harry, with Harry. They support Harry. So the Quibbler wrote this? Yeah, if... If the Quibbler is publishing articles that say Harry's great, we believe in Harry, then what do you think Voldemort thinks about the Quibbler? It's a nut job. Not just that. Do you think he appreciates people publishing these kind of articles? No. I guess we'll see soon what uh, what happens to people that support Harry publicly, right? Lots of people probably support him privately. Hopefully. But... Right now, the Quibbler is supporting him publicly, which is, you know, scary. Who publishes the Quibbler? Xenophilius. And he is the father of... Luna. Yeah, so these are, you know, friends to Harry. I I think he would hate to see anything bad happen to them. He might prefer that they just kept their mouths shut 
instead of getting in trouble for talking, you know, saying nice things about him when uh, <laughs> the whole world is trying to kill him. So this information, this is one of the areas that a lot of Harry Potter fans have a problem with because just at the right moment when they need information, they just happen to run into people that just happen to be talking about exactly what they need to know. Does it seem kind of a little too convenient? I was going to say that seems really convenient. Yeah, so this is one of those areas where a character needs to know something. The writer has put them alone in the woods and probably can't think of a way for them to find this information out. So so then, so then they just happen to have a group of wizards that happen to walk in the exact place where they happen to be yeah. at the exact time they happen to need that information that they happen to be talking about at that yeah. very second. So, you know, I can forgive this uh, with all the other outstanding writing in all of these books, but this is a, <laughs> bi- this is a bit of a stretch that things would work out that well for them, especially considering how things typically are not working out that well for them right now. And especially considering that this is Harry Potter. (laughs) Right. So these wizards, uh, you know, finish their conversation. I feel like they have to finish it by saying, well, I think that's all Harry needs to know. We should (laughs) get our stuff and go. This leaves Harry, Ron, and Hermione excited to know that the sword is a fake. And that they might actually be able to get the real one. Uh, But do they know at this point? Have we established why they want Gryffindor's sword? So that Harry can get it because of Dumbledore's will. That's what it was. Okay, we're not, yeah, we're not to the real reason yet. It was left to Harry and it went missing but it didn't really go missing. It went into Gringotts, but it didn't really go to Gringotts. It's in Snape's office. So it went nowhere. It went nowhere, it sounds like. (laughs) It sounds like Snape just said, I don't have the sword. Even though it's like right in front of you. It's gone. Even though it's right in front of you. Stop asking me for the sword. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. probably hanging over my desk, (laughs) Mr. Potter, but you can't have the sword. So, <laughs> or maybe it's hidden in the bed or something. Perhaps I sleep with it under my <laughs> pillow, Mr. Potter. Or perhaps it's hidden behind one of the paintings. Okay, okay, okay. So that perhaps talk. it could be anything. <laughs> so, sounds like their plan is going to be let's find this sword. Hermione has, of all the things that she's prepared, she has taken one very important thing from Grimmauld Place. She has a portrait in her bag. Do you remember who it is? Phineas Nigellus. Yeah, she's got Phineas Nigellus in her bag, and his other <laughs> portrait is in Hogwarts. So In Snape's office. Right. So they've got... <laughs> this is another thing where I'm like, guys, why aren't you spying on Snape 24-7? <laughs> But does Phineas Nigellus really want to help them? No. No, because why? Half the time, he's not in his portrait. And why would he be reluctant to help them anyway? He's evil. He's not evil. He is a Slytherin, and he is sympathetic to Snape, to the Black family, and possibly to Voldemort. He's slightly bad. 
He's certainly not a fan of Harry. So anything they find out from him is going to be hard, hard won information, you know. Uh, but she takes it from her bag. She finds out that Ginny, Neville, and Luna were sent into the Forbidden Forest as punishment for trying to steal Gryffindor's sword. And that also, what did Dumbledore use that sword for in the past? Destroying a Horcrux. Destroying the ring. So now they've got tons of information they didn't have, have before. Number one, we know where a thing exists that can destroy Horcruxes. Number two, we know that even though they were sent to the Forbidden Forest, Ginny, Neville, and Luna are possibly alive and okay. <laughs> but sort of, you know, most importantly... There is a thing that can destroy Horcruxes. We've seen it before. We know what it is. We think we know where to get it. Probably. With Phineas gone, Harry and Hermione are pretty happy about this new information until Ron speaks up. Ron is not super happy about their progress. Do you remember what his general attitude is? Grumpy and mad. But what is he mad about? I have no idea, honestly. Ron is mad. Well, first of all, Ron's wearing the necklace. So that doesn't help anything. That's the entire cause of this problem. No one seems to realize that for some reason. So Ron speaks up that, you know, we've got, so what if we know there's a sword? We got so far to go. We've accomplished basically nothing. We're alone. We don't have any help. We're never going to be able to do this, right? He's just negative, negative, negative. What does Harry think about that? I kind of forgot this part. Ron and Harry almost come to a fist fight. And Ron finishes like, fine, I'm out of here. He tells Hermione, you need to come with me. And if you don't, if you choose to stay with Harry, I'll know that you don't really care about me. Hermione's like, I can't stop trying to defeat evil and if you're giving up on this plan then i can't go with you so what does ron do he walks out on them he disapparates he's gone but that kind of means he is uh like kind of agreeing with harry because before they went harry said don't come with me and now he's not with them yeah but for different reasons Harry was kind of saying, don't come with me. It's too dangerous. Please come with me. Uh, don't come with me. You're going to get hurt. Seriously, come with me. I need some help. Uh, please don't come with me. It's not good for you, really. I need you to come with me. I can't do this on my own. <laughs> Harry, I think Harry knew before he said that, that they were coming with him. He probably would have gone anyway, but and he, he may have even not forgiven them, but sympathized with them if they said, you're right, Harry. This is way too dangerous. We're not going. But I feel like after all this time, there was no part of Harry that thought they weren't coming. Right? Yeah. I mean, come on. They've done everything dangerous together. They're not... Except for when Ron had his leg broken in the hospital wing and Harry and Hermione had to go. Sure. Themselves. Sure. And that was a different circumstance. But in this case... so That, so that at, was because he physically could not go. So at that time... Harry was saying, I care too much about you. I don't want you to be hurt. At this time, Ron is saying, this is hopeless. We're never going to accomplish anything. 
Plus, he seems to start feeling jealous of Harry and Hermione's relationship. Uh, he know we we know that Ron likes Hermione, and she's picking her, Harry in his mind. What's she really picking? To fight evil. Yeah, she's not friends. She's not picking Harry. She's picking doing the right thing or doing the non-selfish thing. Ron is doing the selfish thing. But it also doesn't help that he's wearing the locket, so... Certainly not. I guess he gives it to them before he disapparates? Maybe. I know he doesn't leave with it. Chapter 16, Godric's Hollow. What is Godric's Hollow? It's where Harry was born. Absolutely. It's also where... Dumbledore was born. Where Dumbledore lived as well. Why are they not constantly talking about that? One of those things I've I've mentioned many times in this podcast. Harry's not curious. Harry's lack of curiosity. And it's like, oh, Harry, Galtrix, hollow. I lived down the street from your parents my entire <laughs> life. Like that that never comes up. It's just not a conversation they have. Really, Professor? Tell me about my home. Tell me about Godric's Hollow. Oh, Harry, it's beautiful. Especially in the summertime. No, they don't ever talk about this. Uh, so weird that they share such a bond. Godric's Hollow does not seem like a big town either. So, it's From what we know, it is like a, a couple of streets. Well, the other crazy thing is that you're now telling me there is one town that is produced... A, the most powerful good wizard of all time, and B, the only person who ever su- survived an attack of Voldemort and also caused the destruction of Voldemort. That means it's kind of like the most important village ever that right. no one knows about. No, yeah, it's it's like the... Like, no no one looks up on Google Maps, where's Godric's Hollow? It's the number one landmark of all wizarding culture that <laughs> no one ever talks about, no one seems to care about. So... Godric's Hollow. They're gonna they're gonna end up there, I'm sure. Uh, chapter sixteen. Harry and Hermione are packing up the tent. They are not in a hurry. Why do you think they're going slowly? I don't know. They're hoping that maybe if they wait just long enough, Ron will come back. Ron will come back. Does not happen. They realize he's not coming back. What's the number one reason he's not coming back? Do you remember why he cannot come back? No. He doesn't know where they are. They apparated based on Hermione's mind moving. And Ron did not actually know their location. He just knew they were in the woods somewhere. Yeah, so even if he changed his mind immediately, he wouldn't be able to go back to them. So they're... Like, like I guess they don't realize that yet because they're going so slowly. I think they're hoping something will work out where their friend can come back to them. But it's not really possible at this point. They realize that Ron's not going to be able to come back and they apparate to a new location. As the days go on, Harry and Hermione are trying to figure out where to search for Gryffindor's sword and what the remaining Horcruxes are, where they might be, they absolutely are not discussing Ron because it's a sore subject for both of them. And they change locations each morning. But they're not going in any sort of direction, right? 
Not really. They're just going like, oh, I've been here, or oh, I know this forest, or something like that. They do manage to get a little bit more information out of Phineas Nigellus that Neville, Ginny, and Luna have kept up the DA and that they are trying to make life difficult for Snape. He doesn't really say exactly what is happening there, but that they are uh, fighting against him in some way. I think it's safe to say they are no longer students at Hogwarts at this point, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so one night uh, Christmas is approaching. Hermione continues to search through the Tales of Beetle the Bard, the book, the children's book that Dumbledore left her in his will. He, she honestly, she could have just bought that at the store, but. But what do you think she's looking for in this book? Clues. Dumbledore doesn't do anything without a reason, right? No, he does. He doesn't go say. Oh, I'm going to go read Charlotte's Web. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't leave her a copy of Charlotte's Web just because I think it's a good book. I think you'll enjoy it. Very good stories. No, it's not that. It's There's got to be a reason that he gave her this particular book, but she hasn't figured it out yet. So Harry also gets up the nerve to suggest maybe we should go back to Godric's Hollow. Harry uh, is surprised that Hermione agrees, even though Harry thinks this might be really dangerous. But Hermione actually points out this is the birthplace of Godric Gryffindor. It's also the home. That's the other thing. Why does no one know about this? (laughs) And why does no one care? It's a town founded because it's the birthplace of one of the four most, most important wizards in all of Europe or at least in all of Britain, or the United Kingdom, I should say. It is the birthplace of Albus Dumbledore, the most powerful wizard alive. It is the birthplace of Harry Potter, a baby that defeated the Dark Lord. And it has maybe 500 residents. And and it, and uh, that is the neighborhood where Voldemort got killed, sort of. It's the death place of Voldemort originally. This is a... So that's like five important things. This place things. should be a big deal. It but should it should be like as big as New York City. Harry also points out though that someone else important lives there. Do you remember who? Is it I I know I remember who she is, I just don't remember her name. Bethilda Bagshot. I knew it was B something. Who's Bethilda Bagshot? Isn't uh I think she was a writer, but she's also like she was also kind of a personal friend of Harry's parents. She was a personal friend of Dumbledore's entire family, but she is the one that Rita Skeeter says she interviewed to write her tell-all book about how Dumbledore was a liar. So now they're wondering, did Bethilda Bagshot turn on Dumbledore, or what is the other option? I'm just guessing at this I was thinking maybe Rita forced it out of her probably Rita is known to get the information that she wants regardless of what it takes to get it Uh, over the next few days Harry is getting excited about going to Godric's Hollow I find it very odd that he has never once asked anyone to take him to Godric's Hollow to at least see his home you know 
where did my parents die? Yeah, all this <laughs> stuff is, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's highly emotional for him, but it, it seems like, well, we'll get into it. I've got some thoughts about this coming up in this chapter. But So anyway, uh, he and Hermione work out disguises and practice apparating together under the invisibility cloak. They're going to do everything they can to make sure that they're not detected, right? Yes. After appearing in the snow-covered square of Godric's Hollow, Harry and Hermione take off the invisibility cloak, walk through town, and they're disguised as muggles. I think they look like two old people. They realize it's Christmas Eve, and they discover a statue in the town square. What do they... What, what is this a statue of? I don't remember. It's a statue of Harry and his parents. Something they certainly were not expecting to find. It's a commemorative statue saying, you know, James and Lily Potter sacrificed their lives to defeat the Dark Lord, etc., etc. We all owe them a great debt, gratitude, etc., etc. I think that that's something that... I remember this part. I think it's something like that a sign or something turns into that so that only wizards can see it. Correct. Uh, And Hermione says something like, they shouldn't have done this to the sign. And Harry says, no, it's perfect. He's he's happy to see that there is um, a memory of his parents, that people do appreciate what they have done, right? That they've obviously given up their lives uh, primarily so that their son could live, but it turned out so that everyone could live. So that's, it, it's pleasing for him. Think about the fact he's still wearing his mom's letter around his neck in that pouch. It's the only thing he has with her handwriting on it. And so he, he reads it over and over and he loves that letter. And here he sees another indication that they were alive, that they were for a very brief time, a family, and that people did care about them, right? Yes, and I think next they start trying to find Harry's parents' graves in the cemetery. Correct. They find the graves for Kendra and Ariana Dumbledore, and then they also find the graves of James and Lily Potter. They make a little wreath and leave roses on the grave, and it's very somber and quiet, and they walk away. Chapter 17, Bethilda's Secret. Obviously, Bethilda Bagshot. On their way out of the graveyard, Harry and Hermione hear someone following them. So they pop under that invisibility cloak and hide between a row of houses. They're looking for Bethilda Bagshot's house. But instead, they find a different building. What is it? I don't remember. It is Harry's parents' house. I thought they already saw that. No. Oh, okay. What state is Harry's parents' house in? I think it's in, like, perfect condition. If completely blown up is perfect condition, (laughs) then it's in perfect, completely blown up condition. Okay, I got confused. Now... What you may be thinking of is that it's in the exact same condition that it was the day it was blown up. Probably, yeah. Which suggests that charms were put on it, 
so that a perhaps muggles can't see it because i'm sure any muggles living there would be like why is there a half blown up house that no one's done anything about two would be uh that you know wind and rain and snow could be getting inside it and ruining everything i would assume there is some sort of protection even over the holes that are blown in it to keep everything just as such but they do it that way as a memorial sort of a monument to the destruction of Voldemort. That's another kind of place that people might come and pay their respects for, you know, this this horrible event that happened. This entire part of the town should be put in a museum. It, they're sort of keeping the house as a museum, I think. I don't think anyone goes inside it, but they can look at it. They can it's a reminder, you know, and we do stuff like that, obviously. We we make memorials to wars and to disasters and to people that gave their lives for causes and whatnot so that people have at least a place to go and gather. I wouldn't be surprised if every Halloween, because, you know, Harry's parents were killed on Halloween, I wouldn't be surprised if people gather around that house every Halloween and pay their respects, light a candle, do something, you know? Why would they do that on Halloween? That's the night that Harry's parents were killed. Oh, right. I I keep forgetting about that. It's... It's also the night that nearly had the snake died. Oh, yeah. Um, it's important that it's Halloween, but it isn't really addressed in the book very much. But I think it actually is important in that it's the one night that Voldemort and possibly a bunch of Death Eaters could stroll through town without causing any suspicion. Because what do they look like? People are dressed up. They look like they're dressed like ghouls and goblins and vampires and stuff. So so no one suspects them. That's kind of my thought, is that it was just the safest night to be in a muggle town, you know, or a town with muggles in it, I should say. My thought is uh, ban Halloween for wizards. No, that's not fair. Yeah, but still. At least for evil wizards. Well, like they're going to do it anyway. They wouldn't pay attention to you. <laughs> so they see the house. The roof's blown off, but it hasn't changed. An old woman can see through the invisibility cloak, and she sort of beckons them to come with her. I think this is supposed to be Bethilda, but we never find out. We do. This is Bethilda. Oh, okay. They realize this is Bethilda, and they follow her to her house. Inside Bethilda's house, they're sort of awestruck by the things that are surrounding them, uh... There's a lot of, uh, I think I think they point out that there's like a lot of mementos and trinkets. Or am I thinking about the other lady's house? I can't remember. But Bethelda takes Harry upstairs. And as if to tell him something, she hasn't spoken yet, though. Why does Bethelda never speak? Because she takes Harry upstairs and they go into a cramped room. She leaves Hermione behind downstairs. And suddenly... She- she starts peeling her skin off to reveal she's a snake. She's a freaking snake. Now, old ladies peel their skin off all the time, but this old lady <laughs> just happens to be a snake. She's not just any snake. What snake is she? Nagini. I'm not even sure if Harry knows that. I think he's just kind of shocked that she's a snake at this point. <laughs> but yes, it's Nagini, and we, the audience, know uh, there's not that many, you know, 14-foot giant snakes, <laughs> but... Uh, he was apparently curled up inside Bethilda's skin. It's pretty gross. Just kind of <laughs> moving her around. Um, not even sure how that works. I think they 
made her an inferior, but then took out her guts and stuff. And put Maybe so. Nagini inside or something. So Nagini <laughs> attacks Harry. He sees Voldemort coming. Uh, obviously, Nagini has said, like, you know, they're here. Calls to Voldemort. Hermione arrives and. I think she comes up to check on Harry and make sure everything's all right. Harry can't keep track of what's actually going on because once he's that close to Voldemort, they start to share vision. I think he realizes my ability to see in Voldemort's mind is almost uncontrollable when we're this close to each other. And I think that means it's not only getting less controllable, but it's also getting stronger. Certainly. Uh, but just as he kind of loses consciousness, he and Hermione escape somehow. I think they like jump out a window and apparate like as Voldemort is saying Avada. But Harry has a complete vision. He's transported back to a memory of Halloween 1981. It was also the year that I was born. <laughs> then he, he's walking through the streets of Godric's Hollow. He finds the Potter Cottage. He kills James and then Lily. And then he's destroyed when he tries to kill Harry. Obviously, he's seeing Voldemort's memories of the night that his parents died. This is probably, I would imagine, one of the most traumatic things Harry's ever been through. Wouldn't you think? Yes, because uh, this time he can actually see it. He can also see it from the perspective as if he did it. It's, so, it's bad enough to know that his parents were killed. Now he knows exactly what they looked like when they died. It, it also feels like he actually was the one who did it. Feel, yeah, it feels like he's the one that killed them. So this is, I would imagine, I mean, God, any regular person, this would send them into... Tremendous therapy yeah uncontrollable fits i'm sure uh this is not a pleasant memory for harry to be reliving probably the worst one he could imagine as he returns to consciousness he sees the actual voldemort today discover on the uh, a picture on the floor of bathilda bagshot's house and he recognizes the person in the picture do you remember who he recognizes no. It's that blonde young thief that stole something from Grigorovich. Oh. But we like know nothing about him, but what Not he, yet. What he looks like. Yeah. But now what does Voldemort know? What he looks like. Not only what he looks like, I think Voldemort recognizes him. And so Voldemort goes, duh, that's who's got the thing that I want from Gregorovich. Now I know exactly where to go and who to kill. I'm not sure if they've said who it is yet. I think they have, but if so, I've forgotten completely. I think we're still calling him the thief at this point, so I don't think the book has told us exactly who that person is. Since I already know who it is, I'm having a hard time remembering when that information is revealed. <laughs> Harry awakens, regaining his own mind, his own consciousness, and he finds Hermione sort of tending to him, worrying about him. He explains to her that Bathilda, uh, guess what? She's a snake. And he also mentions a quote that Lupin told him one time, that they would encounter magic we'd never imagined. And I think that's what he's saying about the uh, snake lady, is that we didn't even know this was possible. So Voldemort has 
strength and power that we don't know. He also finds out from Hermione that something has happened to his wand. This is what I said earlier. It got snapped in half. It's broken. Harry is not only wandless, but he doesn't have the wand that is the twin to Voldemort's wand anymore. That seemed important, right? Yes. Now he's also magicless, so... Well... That's bad. Harry could use Hermione's wand if he had to do magic, but what would be the problem? It's harder to use somebody else's wand than your own. I would imagine that Harry might have an easier time using Hermione's wand because it would be willing to work for him. Because he's Hermione's friend. Right. And so maybe the wand would know that. But it also means that between the two of them, they have one wand. That is not good for defense. It's not good for attack. Not good for staying hidden. It's also not good because now if like Harry gets lost by himself, he can't do a Patronus or anything. Right. They also, I don't remember who's wearing the necklace at this point. I guess they're just trading off. I don't think it really matters at this point. But well, it does because it's still affecting their moods. Anyway, um, his wand is broken. And he mentions it feels like a part of him has been killed. That's the, the relationship he's had to his wand, right? Yeah. Every spell, every piece of magic he's ever done. Has been with that wand. Yeah. So that wand is the embodiment of his magical life not only that it's the wand that chose him right yeah so the first time he ever really felt special and felt like he was a wizard was when that wand chose him in Ollivander's shop also i think that uh i think that he can't do like magic at all now because i know it is possible to do magic without a wand, but that's like something we only ever see Voldemort and Dumbledore do. We see Voldemort do it, we see Dumbledore do it, and we maybe see McGonagall do it. That's about it. Because McGonagall uh, transforms into a cat. Now, she may have her wand on her and just be doing the spell non-verbally, but we don't really know. So, she, so needless to say, we've only seen old people do it, which means they've probably done a lot of practice, right? Yeah, but I don't think you have to say spell to turn into something. Well, we we're never given specifics on that. But maybe her wand is in her pocket, and so that's why it works. I don't know. But he does borrow Hermione's wand just so he can take watch. It's the only weapon that they have. And that means Hermione is defenseless while Harry is watching over her. Chapter 18, The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore. And that, I believe, is the title of Really Scooter's book. Correct. Uh, as dawn arrives, Harry is upset that his wand is gone. He's just furious thinking about Dumbledore again. And that he didn't really prepare them for this quest, right? It almost seems futile and hopeless. Exactly like Ron was thinking. Yeah, he's kind of starting to feel sympathy for... I don't know if he's feeling sympathy for what Ron felt or if he's just feeling the same thing and not realizing it's the same thing Ron felt. But I don't think he wants to realize it's the same thing Ron felt because he's still mad at him. Sure, he's mad at him for leaving, but he's also probably being affected by the necklace just like Ron was. 
Hermione arrives to have tea with Harry, and she's also got a copy of The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore. I think she got that from, like, the market in the village a few miles away. She actually grabbed it from Bethilda Bagshot's house. Oh. And this, I'm not sure if this is where we see it, but there is a note, there's an inscription written in it. Uh, Harry tells Hermione that he's not angry with her and grateful that she saved his life, even if his wand was broken. Harry is distracted reading the Dumbledore biography. Inside that, he finds a picture of Gellert Grindelwald. What does he recognize about this picture? The thief is in it, I think. The thief is Gellert Grindelwald. A young Gellert Grindelwald is the person from his memory, it's the person who stole the thing from Grigorovich, and it's the person from the photo. Oh, I was thinking that Grindelwald was Grigorovich, so I got confused. Yeah, those names are equally G-sounding and weird. But <laughs> So Harry's like, oh, that's the guy. That's the guy that stole the thing. Now he's even more distressed by what he reads. Who was Grindelwald to Dumbledore when they were young? They were best friends. They were not only best friends, but when they were in their, like, 20s, they were planning to take over the world together. They were planning to rule over the muggles using magic. Who else does that sound like? Voldemort. What does this make Harry think about his mentor? He was really dumb in his 20s. I feel... Now... That's the truth. <laughs> that That is what happened. <laughs> but I think Harry thinks, I don't know this guy at all. Like, and maybe he wasn't being straight with me ever. Like, I don't know anything about this guy pre-Hogwarts life. Yeah, it says he reads a story that Dumbledore's family, um, he, reads, he reads about Dumbledore's family, his friendship with Grindelwald, the death of his mother and sister, and then... A letter from Dumbledore descri describing that if wizards dominated the muggles and dominated the world, it would be for the greater good, that they would be able to run things better. Now, it's safe to say in Harry's world right now, muggles actually run the world and greatly outnumber wizards, right? Because like 5% of the world is wizards. Yeah, if that. Maybe so worse. so Dumbledore's original plan was to tip that on its head and take control. Do you think he could have done it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Voldemort could do it. Anyone with that much power and ambition could do it. But they paint Dumbledore and Grindelwald's relationship in such as that they are young, idealistic, and they might even think they're doing the right thing. And it's like they're like the big plans you have in your 20s. One day we'll rule the world. But they actually mean it, you know? Or like one day I'll become president. Yeah, but in this case, they have the ability to make that type of thing come true. Harry is certainly disillusioned with with his perception of Dumbledore at this point. He He doesn't know if anything he thinks he knows about Dumbledore is true or has it all just been a big lie? He He's not sure anymore. Has, has 
he been hearing a lie of Dumbledore for the last six years? Or has Dumbledore been hiding his past or his true intentions? He doesn't know. Or has he changed it all from when from his twenties to one hundred and thirty years later? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Harry and Hermione are reading through this book and just trying to figure out what this new information means for them. The biggest problem for them is who wrote this book? Rita Skeeter. And do they trust Rita Skeeter? No. So is any of this even true? They don't know. That also means that uh, she says she got the dirt on Dumbledore from a Thilda Bagshot. So if that's true, then can we trust Thilda? Could we have trusted Mathilda Bagshot now that she's dead? We can't ask. Well, her, Harry's never met Mathilda Bagshot, so I guess it doesn't matter. You know, uh, they don't actually get to have a conversation. Harry and Hermione have a sleepless night keeping watch. They're nervous and frustrated. They keep thinking they hear someone beyond the boundaries of their protective spells, and they decide to apparate away under the invisibility cloak. And Hermione takes them to a place called the Forest of Dean. Harry sits out keeping watch in the dark. He hears noises around him and suddenly he sees a silvery doe. But what is this? It looks like a Patronus, but uh, it kind of just like runs to Harry and then prances away into the forest. Now, the last time Harry saw Patronus, it wasn't him, in a forest, what animal was it? A stag. And who did he think made that Patronus? His dad. Because he knew his dad could turn into a stag. So he assumed his dad's Patronus was a stag. In the end, we find out who was it actually. Harry. Harry. Harry's Patronus is also a stag. But if... Harry's dad could turn into a stag. If Harry's Patronus is a stag, and a doe was a female deer, who might the doe Patronus be coming from? Lily? That would be my guess. Now, previously, Harry thought, it's my dad. I know it's my dad. I don't know how, but it's definitely my dead dad. It, and it turned out to be him, but it can't be him now because it's a doe, not a stag. But it seems a little coincidental, right? Yes. That there would be a Patronus that seems to represent one of his parents, again, in the woods, again. <sighs> I would almost be suspicious of it. With, with Hermione, again. But Harry isn't suspicious of it. He, for some reason, knows that he can trust it. Perhaps because it somehow reminds him of his mother. So it leads him into the forest, and then they find a lake. Not only just a lake, but a frozen lake. And what does he see floating at the bottom of this lake? A glowing something. No, he knows what it is. What does he see? A glowing sword. Yeah, it's the sword of Gryffindor. So I guess sometime between what they heard from those wizards and now Snape has hidden it. Why would Snape bring it to the forest where Harry is? I think he, it, the real one was in Snape's office, so he probably just hid it somewhere and then just left it there. 
what I'm saying is, this is the real one. How did it get at the bottom of a lake in a forest just right by Harry's campsite? Snape put it there not knowing that Harry would be there. You think that it's that coincidental? Why did a doe Patronus lead him to it? It's not clear, right? That's the only explanation I can come up with. I think it's pretty a pretty far stretch of the imagination that Snape, if he does not want Harry to have this sword, would hide it at the bottom of a frozen lake that just so happens. Haven't we already done the thing where something just so <laughs> happens to be perfect for them in the woods? I don't think we're going to do two just so happens to be right place, right time. I think whoever sent or whatever sent the Doe Patronus put that sword there for Harry to find. And if Snape does not want Harry to have that sword, then he doesn't know. You know who it might have been? Who? Tonks, because she got an she got a new Patronus, but it's a four-legged animal, but we don't know what animal it is. You know what? That <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. I have always wondered why they made a big deal of Tonks having a different Patronus and not telling us what it was. That has to be foreshadowing to this. That's really good. That's smart. <laughs> I, I never made that connection. I've always wondered why they left that dangling. And I bet it, it's so you would think that Tonks did this. Huh. If you're smart. <laughs> Good job, kiddo. That's yeah, that's that's very observant. <laughs> I never thought of that before. So anyway, Harry sees this sword. He trusts the Doe Patronus. He knows he needs the sword. He's gotta get it. So what does he do? He uh takes off all his clothes except for his underwear and jumps in. Yeah, because now do you know why he would take off all his clothes before jumping in a freezing lake? No. Two reasons. Number one, you can swim better without baggy clothes on. Number two, when you get out of the lake, what are you going to want? Dry clothes. Dry clothes. Even if you're cold, you're definitely not going to want to be cold and wet. So that's why. What happens as he gets in the lake? Um, Something starts fighting him. I think something's in the lake and then starts like... No. What is he wearing around his neck? The locket. And what does the locket do to him when he gets in the lake? I think it starts like pressing against his chest really hard and it like... It tries to push him to the bottom of the lake and drown him. Or pull him to the bottom of the lake. Something like that. Yeah. It's... Maybe you should have taken the locket off with the clothes, you know? <laughs> so he's fighting and fighting and fighting. You know, maybe he didn't want it to get stolen or something. Probably not, but it turns out that plan did not work out so well. So he's fighting and fighting. What seems to happen just as he is about to be drowned? Someone grabs him by the arm and starts pulling him up again. Yeah, someone jumps in, uh, gets the sword, gets Harry, and pulls him to safety. Who does it turn out to be? Ron. It's Ron. Again, how, how I'm not sure if this is explained or not, <laughs> but how does he know where they are? That that's explained at the end of this chapter or the beginning of the next one. So yeah, Harry wakes up surprised, very surprised, to find that Ron is the one that saved him. 
Ron tells Harry how he found him, and they wonder about the Horcrux. Harry realizes that Ron needs to be the one to destroy it. Why does he think that? Because he's the one who got the sword. Yeah, if, if you're the one that got the sword, and you're the one that was able to save my life, you should destroy the Horcrux. But one other thing to think about here. Why, why else might that be important for Ron and Harry? Why, what might Harry want to happen by Ron destroying a Horcrux? This is probably a complicated question. I'll just tell you what I think, okay? Okay. Why did, why did Ron leave? Because he was mad at Harry. That, what, what was the problem for him, though? He was wearing the neck. He was no, wearing no, no, no. Locket. What was he frustrated about? Uh, uh, them not being able to do anything. We're not finding Horcruxes. We're not destroying Horcruxes. Nothing's progressing. Okay. What do you think will happen if Harry lets Ron destroy a Horcrux on his own? He'll feel like something has progressed. He, not only that, but he will see that it's possible that. We will find them, we will destroy them, but also that he is an integral part to the plan. He's the one that found Harry. He's the one that got the sword. If he's the one that destroys the Horcrux, he'll think Ron is on the team, right? Ron is part of the plan. Ron's part of the solution. I got I to gotta stay involved. I'm not going to leave again, right? It's not just Harry or it's not just Harry and Hermione. Yeah, he's, he's necessary. So he gives Ron the sword. Ron has the sword, I guess. They they lay the necklace on a rock. And what happens as Ron tries to strike the necklace? Doesn't something come out of it? Yeah, this big swirling vortex comes out of it. And this voice is hissing at Ron. And it's showing him horrible visions. What does... What's the gist of what these visions say to Ron? You're not important to the team of fighting Voldemort. The exact opposite of what Harry likely hopes to accomplish with this uh, with this whole plan, right? Mm-hmm. Harry and Hermione are in it, making fun of Ron. Yeah, Harry and Hermione come out with red eyes, but like with the voice of Voldemort. And it says, uh, you know, why return? We were better without you, happier without you glad of your absence who wouldn't prefer him referring to harry what woman would take you you are nothing nothing without him nothing to him and then she the the sort of vision of hermione sort of stretched like a snake and curled herself around harry and then they share a hug and a kiss what do you think ron does then I don't know if he tries to attack it or if he just faints. He smashes the crap out of it. <laughs> he stabs it with the sword. It's the last thing he wants to see. You are evil. Yeah, I mean, it's it's working on him for sure. He's definitely feeling like he can't do this. But then it says with a, a flash of red in his eyes, he swings the sword and destroys the locket. And then Ron finally tells Harry how he got... Well, first... Harry tells Ron, after you left, it says, after you left, he said with a low voice, 
grateful for the fact that Ron's face was hidden. She cried for a week, probably longer, and she didn't want me to see. There were loads of nights where we never spoke to each other. With you gone, he couldn't finish. It was only now that Ron was here again that Harry fully realized how much his absence had cost them. What do you think he means by that? They they couldn't have they couldn't do anything without him. We've talked before about what each of them brings to the team. Harry is the the courage and the strength in a lot of ways. Hermione is the brains, but Ron's the heart. And they're talking about how their relationship, Harry's and Hermione's, didn't work as well without Ron there to sort of bind them together. He's also sometimes part of the bravery. Sure. And he bolsters Harry's bravery for sure. Harry continues, she's like my sister, he went on. I love her like a sister, and I reckon she feels the same way about me. It's always been like that. I thought you knew. As in, there's no reason to think we would ever be romantically involved or that I would steal her from you or keep you from being together. I just don't feel that way about her. Do you think if they did feel that way about Hermione that Ron would have a chance? Probably not. Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not. It just depends on what Hermione prefers. I think if Harry was romantically interested in Hermione, Hermione might notice that. I'm not sure. It's, you know, something we'll probably never know. Uh, Hermione, they come back into the tent, and what is Hermione's reaction to seeing uh, to seeing Harry and and Ron together? Uh, she feels like probably this is probably one of the most exciting moments she's ever been through. Sort of, not really. She she sort of looks at Ron in disbelief and then lays into him. I don't care, she screamed. I don't care what he's done. Weeks and weeks. We could have been dead for all he knew. She soon reached a level of indignation that rendered her temporarily speechless and threw herself down into a chair with her arms and legs crossed so tightly it seemed unlikely that she would unravel them for several years. That she's so frustrated that he left that the fact that he's back doesn't make all that go away. But then Ron explains how he got home. What does he use to find his way home? Something Dumbledore left him in the will. Did he use the deluminator? Yeah, he said, it doesn't just turn the lights on and off, said Ron. I don't know how it works or why it happened then and not any other time because I've been wanting to come back ever since I left which is what I said, but he couldn't because he didn't know where they were. But I was listening to the radio really early on on Christmas morning, and I heard it. I heard you. He mentions that he heard Hermione's voice, and a ball of light sort of appeared from the deluminator. It sort of floated toward me, said Ron, right into my chest, and then it just went straight through. It was here. He touched a point close to his heart. I could feel it. It was hot. And once it was inside me, I knew what I was supposed to do. That's, that means that somehow or another, Dumbledore knew that if Ron ever leaves, this isn't going to work. Ron has to be able to 
to find his way back. But it also means that Dumbledore may have had an idea that Ron would eventually leave. Why do you think that is? Does he have future telling powers? I don't think so. I think Dumbledore has paid very close attention to these children. He sees their dynamic. He sees how Harry benefits from Ron and Hermione's presence differently. He can see that Harry wouldn't have lived this long without Hermione's brain. And he can see that Harry wouldn't have gotten as far as he has without Ron's friendship. And that the two of them together wouldn't be as strong without Ron as their their third part. So he may have also noticed that Ron is kind of dumb when it comes to other people's feelings, right? Yeah. How did he act around the time of the Yule Ball? Or the Winter Ball, whatever it was called. He, it was the Yule Ball. Yeah. He, act, he acted all jealous because of Hermione and Crumb being together. But he never communicated with her properly, right? He immediately went to, no, I would not like to share a drink with you and Victor. Yeah, she, he, he was unable to communicate his feelings. He probably didn't understand his feelings. He didn't understand Hermione's feelings. I think Dumbledore looks at this kid and says... As essential as he is to their success, he may be the one that just doesn't get it and eventually gives up. And I've got to make sure that he can find his way back. Now, the interesting thing is that he says the Deluminator didn't work until he heard Hermione say his name. What did Harry say about their conversations after Ron left? They hadn't been talking to each other some nights. And they certainly never talked about Ron. That means likely neither of them were saying Ron's name. So it's possible that the spell on the Deluminator said, if Ron is not with Harry and Hermione, as soon as one of them says his name, the Deluminator will guide him back. Because... I believe it's the first time that Hermione says his name that that light appears to him and tells him where to go. Although I'm pretty sure it would work as the regular Deluminator like puts the lights on and off. And it stuff. does because he mentions he's been using it all the time. And it does put the lights out and put him back. But this secondary enchantment kicks in after Ron leaves. So it's a little convenient, but it also shows that Dumbledore could maybe see what was going to happen with these kids and what, what needed to happen later on. Yeah, I'll, I'll forgive that one. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think that it at least works as an emotional character arc and a sort of a resolution for his character if it doesn't make the most sense, um, you know, sure. probability-wise. He says... After uh, after Hermione yells at him, Harry says, that's about the, boast, the best you could hope for, I think. <laughs> yeah, Ron said. Could have been worse. Remember those birds she, sh- she sent at, uh, set on me? 
Hermione screams, I still haven't ruled them out. <laughs> but they they end the chapter back together, back in the tent with a newly uh, sort of renewed sense of purpose. You know, they know their mission. They know that it's possible. Here they've now got an additional destroyed Horcrux. This brings them up to what? Three for sure? Yeah, I think that they did say that that uh We got the book, we got the ring. It's not about Horcruxes. Okay. Well, if you think of it, let me know. But the idea is now they have all seen that perhaps just maybe their mission is possible. Not only that, but if there are seven Horcruxes, they're almost halfway there. So. And if there are only six, they are halfway there. Yeah. So, well, (laughs) and then you think about what comes after that. It's actually killing Voldemort. So, you know, they've got a. Probably probably best not to think about that, that they've got so much more to do. But we're back to the status quo. Now, from a story standpoint, it sort of sets us back where we were a few chapters ago before Ron left. But from an emotional standpoint, I think their friendship is stronger and their mission is stronger, Ron having left and come back. And also re- mentioning that he realized immediately that he made a mistake, right? Yeah. Uh, What chapter are we on? This was chapter 19, so this is as far as you've read, which means you are ready to start rereading, and we'll probably have, if my calculations are correct, three more episodes for this book. I'll I'll have to start reading tomorrow, though, because Mommy's gone. Yeah, she's she's uh, out tonight, so you will be able to start reading tomorrow, and hopefully we'll get back to about two episodes a month to finish out this book. That means in about two months we should be done. Then we can do our Wizarding World episode. The next chapter, chapter 20, is titled Xenophilius Lovegood. Of course we know who that is, right? Yeah, it's Luna's dad. And we've mentioned him before. What was he doing that maybe he shouldn't be doing? He was wearing the Deathly Hallows symbol. I think I know what it looks like. Well, not just that. He was publishing articles supporting Harry. Yes. So... I have a feeling that uh, if we have a whole chapter coming up about Xenophilius, maybe his life is not so easy right now. (laughs) But that's what we'll find out next time we come back on Potter and Daughter. Uh, If you do enjoy this show, if you've gotten some entertainment out of it, please consider supporting our Patreon, patreon.com slash hijinksensue, H-I-J-I-N-K-S-E-N-S-U-E. Thank you to Harry and the Potters for letting us use their song, This Book is So Awesome as our theme song. Thank you to Lily for being my wonderful co-host. For Potter and Daughter, this is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. What do you think? Halfway decent episode? Maybe a little more than halfway. Maybe great episode? Probably, yeah. All right, high five. We did it. Bam. This book is so awesome.